Welcome to Dairy Stream, brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative, sister organizations that fight for sensible dairy policy in Wisconsin and Washington, D.C. Dairy Stream focuses on issues affecting the dairy community and our customers. Hi, I'm your host, Mike Austin. Well, today on Dairy Stream, we conclude our three-part series talking about success in succession planning. If you remember in series number one, we talked about how to get organized. And in our last segment, we talked about financial analysis. And today we are going to look at legal and mediation. And if you did not catch one or both of the first two parts, I certainly would encourage you to go back and listen to those versions of Dairy Stream. They both had excellent guests as we have today. And I think they'd give you a good basis on just what is a good way to be successful in succession planning. Today, though, we have a couple of gentlemen I've known for years that I know are never short on conversation and insight, so uh, we want to introduce them to you. One is Gordon Spears. Uh, he is from Shiloh Dairy, and also with us is George Tuig. He's attorney at Tuig, Reed Brock, Schneider, and Halbach Law, and today we're going to start out by looking at estate planning, and I'm going to start with you, George, and maybe you can just give us a brief overview of your experience with succession planning, because I know you've been doing this for more than a couple of decades. Right. Thank you. First of all, uh, most of our clients have really highly qualified and committed successors, sons and daughters, son-in-laws, key employees that are in their business. And I want to say the state is really in good shape in terms of the, the kind of farmers coming, young farmers coming up. By the way, some problems haven't changed. You know, we still have more cattle, more equipment, more facilities, all at inflated prices, more existing debt, greater income, but inflated expenses causing tight margins and the ups and downs of milk and commodity prices. In our succession planning, the challenge has always been that the farmer's net worth is about 90 to 95% farm assets and only about 5 to 10% non-farm assets. It's a real challenge to move all those assets over to the next generation and do that in a way that keeps peace and harmony in the family. Today, our biggest problems that we seem to hit is in gifting LLC interests. So often with all the depreciation taken, we end up with tax problems because debt exceeds the basis, causing potential income tax on just giving assets, interest in LLCs away. We also have the ongoing challenge of advisors constantly suggesting that people retain assets of death until to, to, they get a stepped-up basis. And at the same time, we want to pass equity to the next generation so they're motivated and become owners and the managers of the company. Right? And by the way, increasingly, we have the challenge of multiple owners in an oper operation getting older and wanting to retire, but maybe not ready to turn over enough control to the next generation. And today, we've even hit the situation of multiple successors wanting to transfer multiple shares in the company to the next generation. And quite frankly, there's more in one family than in another. There's a lot of good opportunities in succession planning today, but there's still a lot of challenges. Well, thanks, George, for that overview. Gordon, I want to get a little bit more specific with you. Could you give us kind of an overview of your own personal experience with succession planning? So being a young feller, my father told me early on in life, get a good attorney and get a good accountant. And uh, he modeled that and had his succession planning well planned out. And uh, so we've been proactive in that throughout our career. 
Thank goodness we've not had to utilize it, at least not in a large extent. We have had one farm partner leave the business, and because that was well planned out, we knew exactly how the game was going to be played when that happened, and it was executed, and there were, there were no issues, no family uh, challenges regarding that. So being proactive is the key here. That's a good point. George, you know, as you get older, there's a lot of different terms that you hear, but you're certainly, you know, have heard them before, you're familiar with them, but maybe you really don't understand the definition or the differences. And in particular, I know in having conversations with some farmers over the years, you know, they bring up the point about estate plans, you know, versus trust and wills. Can you kind of give your overview of the difference between those two? Right. Well, the business planning involves the business planning in a in an operational sense, the transfer planning, how it goes to the next generation, and retirement planning for the senior member. The estate plan is the contingency component of the farm succession plan. Mm-hmm. It covers how it will continue in, in the event of your incapacity or death, right? That's the power of attorney, the marital property agreement, the pour over will, usually a living trust sometimes other arrangements. And we uniformly use uh, living trust as our primary estate planning document. Living trust can provide for the management of farm assets during any period of incapacity. They avoid court involvement. They avoid the inherent costs, delays, and expenses if you go to court. Will should be avoided and, and replaced with living trust. So basically, estate planning is that contingency plan, what happens if you die before you completed your estate, your succession plan. All right, George, let's go back a little bit then, because I know there's several steps when you talk about establishing an estate plan. What really are those first steps you should be taking? Number one, you got to evaluate the current situation on the farm. You have to develop fair market balance sheets for the for your company, for, for, for the members, listing all the assets you have. You got to really determine the readiness of your on-farm heirs to assume management and their ability to work together and resolve conflicts if you're no longer there to figure out what assets are necessary for the farm to continue. And that leaves you down to the hardest issue, what's available for the non-farm heirs in the event, in the event of your death. You know, we want to satisfy their goals in life or expectations, but at the same time, the farm can only afford to pay what the farm can afford to pay. And then we have to evaluate the risks of long-term care, nursing home, as you'd call it. Right? Mm-hmm. Set up your objectives, your, your spouse's financial security and adequate income, how you're going to protect the assets from loss in case of a long-term illness or divorce, your goals for investing cash flow in the farm, the common desire to continue the farm legacy, and what exactly is fair to the kids who left the farm. And by the way, in larger estates, we're really worrying about avoiding estate taxes, but in all estates, we're worried about avoiding income taxes. So, Gordon, from your perspective, obviously, George gave us a good list of topics that need to be covered. But what were some of the first things you did when you started your estate plan? Well, to reiterate George's point, make sure you've got an idea of what you have, what's your asset pool, and then look at two parts. One is unity in the family upon, you know, disaster. Parents are taken out due to accident or disease or something untimely. How to make sure the next generation doesn't end up arguing with each other and losing the the family bond. Seeing the farm be transitioned successfully onto another generation, one of the unique things about farms and agriculture is that they're multi-generational and that's where the wealth is developed is that you keep building on the previous generation's good work and then the next generation builds on it and we can't start these things over every generation and 
anticipate being as successful as it would be if you passed the baton and let the next generation pick up and keep going. So certainly get an idea of what you have, how you want it to be transferred. And, you know, George alluded to the non-farming children. And I think one of the statements that we use is treat everybody fair, but not equal. So make sure the farm is able to continue, but also make sure you've looked after your non-farming children. Good conversation going on today's podcast here on Dairy Stream. It's our third part in our series of success in succession planning. And right now, really kind of focusing on estate planning and total uh, podcast will cover kind of legal and mediation aspects before we're all done. So please stay with us for that. The voices you're hearing while the last gentleman was Gordon Spears. Also with us is George Tuig. And George, want to get back to you on another topic that's very important, and that is trust. And I think people have heard the term revocable and irrevocable trust. Can you tell us what a farmer really know needs to know or consider when you bring up those two topics? Revocable trusts are basically just the living trust that people use for the estate plan that's permitted under Wisconsin statutes. They're a trust really designed to just avoid probate. They're no better than a will in terms of avoiding estate taxes or protecting assets from liability, but they're a great method for passing assets without having to be involved in the court system. We also set up irrevocable trusts, and they're primarily for the purpose of taking assets and either A, making them exempt from estate tax or being established within the living trust to accomplish certain objectives, right? But when we use the word irrevocable trust, it's kind of strange. Under Wisconsin law, it just means the trust cannot be revoked by the individuals, the parents who established the trust. Living trust can now be allowed, uh, structured to allow amendment or change to a new trust by an independent trustee or trust protector. So we, we have some fairly good flexibility in these irrevocable trusts today. Maybe, maybe it would be helpful that, for example, we would take life insurance and put it into a trust so that those proceeds are excluded from the insured's estate upon their death. Or we sometimes have what we call spousal limited access trusts that, that make assets available to the spouse but not included in the donor's estate. Sometimes for tax purposes, we do complex trusts like intentionally defective grant or trust. And all, and all those are beyond the scope of this. But the basic rule is we, we would use irrevocable trust for when we're looking to accomplish certain special objectives. One of the most common trusts we use is when we have younger successors coming on the farm, we'll create a trust within either the living trust or separately that that holds uh, interest in the farm LLC or in real estate. And then it provides that the next generation, those beneficiaries earn those shares by completing a certain number of years or period of employment by the company so that we're making sure that if you die early, they can gain an interest in the company, but don't get it unless they put in the work and effort. All right. Certainly, George, you gave us a lot to digest there. And before I go to Gordon, just going to kind of follow up then. So if I'm a farmer just getting started here and thinking about this process, I mean, from your perspective, should I be considering both then the revocable and irrevocable trusts or can I survive without one or the other? The revocable trust, the living trust, is the key document to making sure assets pass without probate. The irrevocable trusts are documents that you would use when they fit your facts and circumstances and are most likely going to apply when when the estate is large and may be subject to estate tax. Okay, that makes sense. Gordon, then, from your perspective, how have you followed uh, looking at trusts and, you know, what direction have you gone? 
uh, I take the advice of a wise attorney. <laughs> <laughs> and we've so, got yeah, one with George here. <laughs> yeah, we've used some of those instruments uh, in our estate planning. Yeah, I've not reviewed it closely in the last few years to remember exactly what we've got done, but I know it's in a binder and ready for execution should it need to need be. And that's important, yeah, to make sure you know where all this information is. Again, that's the voice of Gordon Spears, uh, George Tuig, a attorney at law, also with us. And George, going to get back to you because as we've been mentioning throughout the programs, even your last answer showed how you know, complicated it can be. But from your perspective, once again, what can farm owners do to reduce tax implications that really occur with transitioning ownership, especially when we talk about estate taxes? Taxes were established by politicians, not by God, so they don't have to make sense. Uh, assets gifted or inherited are now exempt from federal estate or gift tax up to $12,060,000 per person or $24.12 million per couple. On January 1st of 2026, that unified credit will automatically be cut in half to about 1.3 per person or or $12.6 million per couple. So clearly for many of our farmers, they're below those limits so they don't have an estate tax problem. They benefit by having assets run through their estate, getting a stepped up basis. On the opposite side, larger farms or farms that you can anticipate will grow in value, there may be need to transfer assets or do planning in anticipation of that January 1st, 26 change in the amount of the unified credit. When it comes to income taxes, by the way, we have lots of situations where we want to pass interest in an LLC to the next generation. But quite frankly, with all the depreciation and expensing that's taken, the amount of debt the farm has from its growth and expansion is greater than the amount of basis. And then we have to do some fancy planning to be able to transfer units without creating an income tax. Okay, as you can tell, there's a lot of complicated information here, and you really, as Gordon mentioned just a couple moments ago, it's good to have a a lawyer that knows how to deal with this, and George Tuig certainly one of those people. Of course, George, attorney at uh, Tuig, Reed Brock, Schneider, and Hallback, and uh, Gordon Spears is a dairy producer out of Shiloh Dairy, and I want to go back to you, Gordon, on that subject. Uh, How do you kind of try to reduce your tax implications? Small bites often. So <laughs> if you try, if you utilize some of the annual uh, gift tax exemptions that exist, they're not huge, but you can, you know, move some assets and mediate the, the challenge with that. And then just do, yeah, small bites often to try to get the ownership into the next generation's hands. You know, the, the death benefit that George spoke of, uh, that $12 million and, and $24 million is a great tool. But when you've got the next generation basically in charge and, and the previous generation sitting back reaping the rewards from it, you know, they want to think that, hey, I worked really hard and we made $1,000 if I'm only getting 100 of it because I'm, you know, a 10% interest holder. We need to make sure that we get their mind in the right spot and they're rewarded for their motivation of being able to build the, the business. And I, and I think those signals are really important. And I would err on the point of moving some ownership when the next generation is is in the peak of their career making the difference to the corporation instead of helping them out significantly at the end of their career when they don't need the help so it's small bites often and understand the signals of motivation that take place in the dynamic of the family and the farm 
And I think that is something to live by small bites often because George is giving us a giant platter of information. And yeah, if you're trying to digest all this at once, it can be even more complicated than it really is. And again, we're trying to navigate our way through this with a couple of people that are involved with this. Uh, George, an expert in the field. Gordon has experienced this. And I think uh, their dialogue and their candor is really kind of helping all of us better grasp and understand how this bottom line can assist us. And if we don't make the right moves, it uh, can also hurt us. So that's what I want to kind of close on before we get into our second segment. So we're going to talk more about uh, mediation, beneficiaries, and uh, marital agreements. But George, I want to talk here about you know, in the process when we're updating our estates, our wills, or trusts. You had mentioned LLCs. Uh, does anything need to be done when we talk about that updating of those LLCs? Well, it depends on the circumstance. Most LLCs, as they were originally drafted, are quite simple. We have members owning right. units in the LLC. More commonly today, as things evolve, we tend to establish units as either voting units or non-voting units so that the parents can transfer more than 50% of the equity but still retain their desired level of control. When we have tax problems, sometimes we'll establish incentive units or profit interests that allow an employed successors to receive a part of the uh, a greater share of the profits and a greater share of the increased equity of the company without having to report that as a taxable gift. And by the way, with some frequency in the larger ones, we've been establishing uh, units in the company that are called preferred units and they're of fixed value. They don't change in value. They provide a set rate of return to the parents, but actually freeze the value of those units in the company, right? Okay. And then the management structure has to be updated as as the next generation takes over, especially if they're multi if they're multiple successors. And then you gotta go back and relook at the buy sell provisions to make sure they still work today. I mean, with the changing value of lands and cash flow problems, changing uh, profitability or non-profitability of a farm, buy-sell agreements have to be able to cover things like a member's death, termination of employment, retirement, divorce, insolvency. One of the problems we're having is in old agreements, a lot of times the payment terms for buying out units if somebody leaves or the payment schedule, the interest rates, the payment period, some of those get out of whack over time because interest rates vary so much. Gordon and I will remember the interest rates of eight and a half, nine and ten percent, and this next generation is pretty much used to two and three and four percent. Correct. Yeah. So, speaking of this, Gordon, do you have any personal experience about updating your LLCs? No, like George indicated, most of them are set up pretty simply. You know, in the earlier days, our LLC was a single-member LLC, and then when we brought family members in, we just had to update it to a multi-member LLC. Pretty standard procedure. You get a new federal ID number, which does cause you some confusion down the line with different vendors that you work with. But, um, I mean, it's all very minor. Well, again, we told you this would be uh, kind of in-depth, and I think uh, just during our first segment, we needed a front-end loader to kind of grab all this stuff, get it together, and get it in a central location for you. But hopefully, as this is working through your minds, uh, we'll continue to clarify and add more details as we are going to be talking more about uh, mediation, beneficiaries, and marital agreements in the second half of today's Dairy Stream. Again, I do want to thank uh, George Tuig, attorney at Tuig. Reed Brock, Schneider, and Hallback, along with Gordon Spears, a dairy producer and owner of Shiloh Dairy. And they will continue with us as we take a break here on Dairy Stream. 
And we'll be right back with our Dairy Stream podcast after we hear from our sponsor. Compere Financial is the leading financial service provider for agriculture and rural communities. We serve the needs of farmers and neighbors with local offices in Illinois, Minnesota, and Wisconsin. To learn more, visit Compere.com or contact us at 844-426-6733. Trademarks of Compere Financial, an equal credit opportunity lender. Well, this is Dairy Stream. It's brought to you by the Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative. I'm your host, Mike Austin. And today on Dairy Stream, we wrap up our three-part series talking about success in succession planning. And again, if you missed the first two segments, uh, we had some excellent guests, some great insights. I hope you would go back and listen to them. The first segment talks about how getting how to really get organized. And the second one was kind of a financial analysis. Today, we're looking at legal and mediation. And our guests are... Certainly very knowledgeable, George Tuig, who is a attorney at Tuig, Reed Brock, Schneider, and Hallback, and uh, Gordon Spears, who is a dairy producer and owner of Shiloh Dairy. And we've been talking in our first segment about estate planning. Now we're going to move into some of the things that you're going to go like, ooh, when you hear the terms. One is mediation. And George, in trying to avoid mediation and legal issues in the future, what type of conflict resolution or just some general planning needs do we have to really take place? Well, number one, every seminar in the end gets down to communications, doesn't it? Yes, it does. But really, every good partnership is based on trust and how to resolve conflicts, whether they're big or small, just erode trust, and if they're not dealt with, they fester. So when we're in the mediation process, we use kind of a four-pronged approach that's that expert mediators study in it. And what it is, is it's, it's approach that first says, let's move everybody from their positions to, to what their perspectives are and look for the best solution. But we spend a lot of time trying to convince people to focus on maintaining good relationships and not having the conflict damage relationships. We ask each person to consider what kind of person they are and what their identity is so that other people will appreciate they have goodwill at heart. And lastly, we try and create a process where the process itself doesn't cause the damage. Uh, It's always good to have a conflict that's not too big so that people can learn that they can get through problems. But somebody in the in, in the in the family has to inspire the other individuals to re-examine their positions and consider the other one's perspective so that the best decisions can be made. And Gordon, do you have anything to add on this? Well, I've never been through mediation, so I don't have any experience on that, nor do I want to have any experience on it. So being proactive in your communication with your family members and being transparent about exactly what and how the dance is going to go down should a situation or when a situation arises, either death in the family. And let's not forget that, you know, a divorce or um, a remarriage, all those things, which I've experienced with my, my father. My mother passed away at a young age. My dad remarried. You've got the dynamics of a different family uh, joined in. That changes things for sure. Time heals those wounds as well. But again, being transparent and proactive into how that dance is going to be played uh, you know, when the music starts, I think is the best way to avoid mediation. And everybody, and everybody knows how it's going to go down, and there shouldn't be any conflict. Yeah, and I think something that both George and Gordon mentioned, the word communications, has been a, a common theme through 
all three parts of this series and really to make the various steps to make your secession successful uh, really does deal with communications. And that's one of the basic building blocks. So I'm glad that both of you uh, brought that point up here. Uh, i get back to you, George, talk a little bit about just on some of your advice for when you talk about power of attorney and beneficiaries. Well, just quickly, the standard power of attorney that people have just is inadequate for a farmer. So you say you it's know, not, or, okay. It's not. What what has to happen is when we get become incompetent, other than our spouse, we would like those farm assets to transfer into the living trust, which has all the provisions for management of the farm while, while you're incompetent. It, it can provide the right people are running the farm rather than one person selected as the power of attorney because they're your favorite son or daughter, right? Mm-hmm. The, the key is to operate your assets during competency through your living trust that has all the provisions you want for management of the farm during your incapacity, right? Right. In terms of beneficiaries, you know, your on-farm heirs have the expectation of participation and eventual ownership of the farm. In the off-farm heirs, well, they expect to get a substantial inheritance. So it's it's uh, that potential conflict depends on how much you've worked with your family to have a shared concern for the continuation of your family farm. It takes talking to make things work. Good point. What about for you, Gordon? Uh, you got anything to add on that topic? Well, power of attorney, I'm sure those are issues that you don't, don't only deal with yourself and for your generation downstream, but for people that are our age, we're dealing with that with our parents and how that goes down. And there are challenges around that. And I think George outlined a, a nice solution as to how it's supposed to go. One person making all the decisions, whether, like George says, is it the favorite son, maybe not the, the right person, or in a mixed marriage situation, is it a member from the other family dealing with dad's estate or dad's and stepmom's estate? Those are definite things that are points of conflict that need to be, again, transparent and resolved before you know people get into conflict. Let's refer to it that way. Good points. Again, our guests are Gordon Spears and George Tuig, and we are talking this time around about mediation, beneficiaries, and marital agreements. And that's one I want to cover, George, because maybe everybody thinks, well, you know, you get married, you're going to be together until death do you part. There's certainly not going to be anything to really worry about there. But realistically, what items really need to be considered in those marital agreements? Well, for the senior parents who have been married for many years or probably helped build the farm right from the beginning, they'll tend to classify their property as marital property through the marital property agreement. Right. And that gets a stepped-up basis on both uh, on farm assets for, uh, upon the death of either spouse. So that's a good thing. More frequently today, we're gifting assets, transferring assets by gift to successors. And, and we want those assets to remain individual property in case of a divorce. In addition, the goal is protect the assets from divorce and on top of that to uh, treat the spouse fairly. You know, we end up today in our farms transferring virtually millions of dollars to the next generation. And we, in the farm, really can't afford to buy that back in case of a divorce. Yeah, very good point. We are talking with Gordon Spears and George Tuig, and George is an attorney at law. And George, I do want to add a little bit about, you know, the the graying of our agricultural producers and the fact that they are getting older. So maybe can you touch a little bit on elder law and Medicaid planning and what a farm really should consider there? Sure. Uh, We have a lot of parents and 
even grandparents that continue to own far, farm real estate, maybe units in the company that operates the business or other substantial assets as they move older and older. And, you know, in Wisconsin, the average cost of assisted living is like $4,400 a month. And the average cost of nurse, nursing home care is 9500 average or about $12,000 a month in some cases. You know, self-paying those long-term care expenses may not be practical, right? In lieu of paying them, by the way, assets can be divested, gifted away to the next generation, or they can be placed in a Medicaid asset protection trust. That's another half-hour seminar. But nevertheless, you can put it into a trust that the parents retain the right to the income from the assets, and then the principal is then protected and not counted for long-term care qualification. But with proper drafting, it can provide a stepped-up basis even on the death of either parent. But any divestment of assets have to, has to occur at least five years before the application for medical assistance. So, yeah, there's some early planning that can protect assets from the risk of long-term care. It has to be judged on an individual case basis. Okay, excellent points. Thinking ahead on there, or haven't you really looked into that area yet, uh, Gordon? Well, I'm not planning on being in long-term care, but I don't know how I'm exiting this mortal plane either. So those are some considerations that, you know, we're going to have to talk about in these next few years as we go back and review, you know, obviously our state planning. Being now that uh, my wife and I are in our early 60s, it's time to take a closer look at that. Yeah, and George, going back on that, uh, Gordon brought a good point. Is there like a an age urgency on this? I mean, because should you be looking at this already in your late 40s, early 50s? Do you have kind of an age thing, or is this something that can be addressed even earlier? You know, where there's smoke, there's fire. People should go to the doctor on a regular basis, get their full exam, and let the doctor observe early on whether they are developing a chronic illness, whether it's, say, mobility illness, Alzheimer's, senile dementia. But the vast proportion of the people that are in nursing home are the are of the older group. So the folks starts to happen when people are in their 70s or in their 80s or when there's a health condition that's been diagnosed. Excellent insights. Again, the voice you just heard is George Tuig, attorney at law at uh, Tuig, Reed Brock, Schneider, and Hallback. And also with us is Gordon Spears from uh, Shiloh Dairy. And uh, Gordon, I want to start with you this time. You mentioned earlier in our first half of our conversation about, you know, you have kind of your, your binder. And even though you don't have the information at the top of mind, you can always go to that and you got your information there. So from your perspective, uh, you know, how often... Have you, or maybe recommending to other farmers, should you be reviewing your legal succession planning documents? How often do you actually do that? We view it as a living document, and I think the points when you make changes are when there's dynamic changes in your family. So, you know, in our, for those that don't know, we moved here from Canada. We just came with my wife and myself and our three kids, and the three kids are in school. So, you know, if we both tipped over and uh, left the kids behind, You've got to have some instruments to keep the farm going until they become of the age to be able to either take over control of it or liquidate it and move on. Well, now they get out of college and they're part of the farm, so you know you need to review it again. And then you've got a couple of marriages with your farm partner, children, and you need to review it again. And then you know now we've got grandkids, so you know that probably needs to be considered in the further future. They're they're still young, but now. I think the more urgent thing for myself and my wife, Kathy, is as we're contemplating retirement, how can we pass assets on to the next generation, but yet 
also have the next generation keep us in the living situation that we've become accustomed to and how how we can pass those assets and get compensated for them in our retirement. So it's, it's seasonal. I think certainly every time you go through a seasonal change that they need to be addressed. Oh, thank you, Gordon, for that kind of specific example of how often you kind of review uh, your leave succession plan. George, let's take it on a wider scale. What are the things you're recommending to your customers when it comes to uh, times the review? Actually, I agree 100% with Gordon. Okay. Uh, probably the only, no, that's exactly right. The circumstances will dictate the need for changes. The only other time is in larger estates, as we see these changes in tax laws, whether they're income tax or estate tax, they can trigger a need to take some action. All right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been a very enlightening uh, dialogue today on Dairy Stream. We certainly appreciate your expertise and your candor on this subject. One final piece of advice I'd like to share with our listeners today, and I'll start with you, George, is what would you really say is kind of should be top of mind? What piece of advice do you have for a producer listening to this that's putting together or even has at the present time their secession plan? Well, that's kind of strange, but it's more like a preaching. I think you ought to recognize your family's real legacy is founded on the val- the quality values you pass to the next generation. You know, quality values set the standard for conduct, decisions, and relationships. You have to focus on the challenge of combining family and business goals and just recognize, like Gordon does, the transition is dynamic. It's not static. There's always going to be changes. So succession plans need to be flexible and change over the course of time. And just remember that early transfers of ownership interests to the next generation motivate them and, and demonstrate that you recognize their commitment. By the way, your farm is unique. Your family is unique. But you and other farm families have the same problems of basic communications, of working together, transferring management, transferring ownership, communicating and resolving problems. Nobody's special. We're all in the same place. But somebody in the farm has to be the leader, and I hope Dad will do that or Mom. Thanks. That's right, and thank you. We appreciate it. I think we'll give you a couple of amens after that. We appreciate well, all true, the though. insights. <laughs> and we'll pass the basket as well when we're all done. But before we're done, though, Gordon, I just want to ask you, because you're never afraid to share some advice, what would you uh, say to fellow producers? Well, I think as we started out, about the good accountant than the good attorney. And then when you're talking about transition planning, it's good that one of those two are going to ask you the hard questions, you know, and how it's presented to us when we've done this. What if mom and dad tip over, which is a lot nicer way than saying, you know, they, they experience an untimely death. Get you to think about the hard questions. Many families don't want to discuss the, you know, the ultimate challenge of life, which is death, and really wrestle with that in a pleasant and calm state. We don't want to be dealing with estate plans when all of a sudden there's a crisis on the farm, either health or accident or, again, an untimely death. It's better to deal with these when everybody's in a stable mindset and things are running smoothly and we can think more clearly about it. So proactive, again, treat everybody fair, not necessarily equal and keep the lines of communication open. And it's important to keep the family together after you've passed on and the next generation can carry on as a happy family unit, even if they are on or off the farm. I've just seen far too many families and even that are very close to us in relation that have been torn apart by the poorly executed uh, estate planning. So proactive, talk about the hard things and review it as needed. Gordon, I want to thank you for your comments as well and for opening up 
your own personal experience and sharing those with us. I know sometimes it isn't always easy. So uh, thank you very much for uh, sharing those today. And I think it makes a difference for our listeners to get the insights. Not only of a person that works with producers, but an actual producer that is going through the process. And again, we hope that this series really does bring success in your succession planning. We've had some excellent guests and certainly uh, we added two more today with Gordon Spears from uh, Shiloh Dairy and also George Tuig from Tuig, Reed Brock, Schneider, and Hallbach Law. And again, we thank them for their time and expertise. We also want to say a special thanks to our outstanding producer and editor. That, of course, is Joanna Guza, who makes Dairy Stream uh, the valuable podcast it is. And we want to thank you for listening once again. I know time is valuable, and it takes some time to uh, listen to the podcast and to share some feedbacks. It really is appreciated. So, again, I thank you all. And until our next podcast, I'm Mike Austin, wishing you a great tomorrow. The Dairy Business Association and Edge Dairy Farmer Cooperative would like to thank you for listening to Dairy Stream. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please subscribe and rate Dairy Stream. We value your feedback. And if there's something you'd like to hear, just email us podcast at dairyforward.com.